Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa salatu wa salam Ala abdillahi wa rasulihi Nabina Muhammad Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Amma ba'd Absolute last reminder For anyone who hasn't pressed the submit button The cut off time is in the next 30 seconds If anyone doesn't press submit by now Then the exam results will not be accepted So please if anyone has any last minute any submission to make, then please make it now, inshallah. Okay, after saying Bismillah, Alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam, ala Rasulillah, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi, wa man wala amma ba'd. So we'd like to welcome everyone to module two of the essentials, inshallah ta'ala. Few administration or administrative issues before we begin. First of all, uh, we have a lot of students on this course. Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah Azza wa Jal, a lot of people come. And that means that keeping everyone up to date with what's happening is challenging. And it's challenging to keep everyone up to date with when exams will be, and when will this happen, and when will that happen, and when will the course start, and when will the course stop, and how many modules, and all of that stuff. For this reason, there is a website. And I believe if you go to www.kelima.org forward slash module 2, then you can find all of the information that you need relating to the administration of the course. On that topic, I usually remind everybody that personally, I don't take care of administration of the course. So please don't send me an email telling me you're absent or you can't do the exam or something like that or please can I do this or that because the admin of the course is dealt with by the Kelima uh, staff, the Kelima management, management, um, management and the Kelima team. They take care of the admin of the course. They also are very, very busy and they have a lot of work. So please don't send unnecessary emails to them either. We don't need to know if you are going on holiday next week. We don't need to know that you could not attend last week. These kind of issues are not uh, important. So please don't send large numbers of emails, even to the Kelima team, because they also have a lot of work to do. They have a lot of other programs apart from this one. And for sure, if 600 people send you a message every week telling that I couldn't come for this or what about this or asking questions then it's going to become too difficult for them to manage as well so please keep the communication to an absolute minimum where necessary um, and generally use the information on the website for you know to know when your exams are going to be and to know when the course is going to start and finish with regard to the start and finishing or starting and finishing dates, we have included two weeks of Ramadan in the course uh, schedule. The reason for that is that we would not be able to complete the course without doing that. Uh, because of the timing of, of leave and the timing of people, you know, a lot of people, especially after Eid, are going. So we would not be able to easily complete the course without that. And I was very clear that I don't see it being a problem in the first two weeks of Ramadan. Yes, I can understand in the last 10 days, it's hard. Because in the last 10 days, you are praying Qiyam and you know you probably get to bed at Fajr time, after Fajr. And so definitely it's hard to come here and study for two hours when you've been awake all night. 
However, in the first two weeks of Ramadan, none of the masjid, masajid have Qiyamul Layl. In the first two weeks of Ramadan, or almost none of them have it. And almost everyone will be praying Taraweeh and you know, getting some rest, doing some personal ibadah. So I don't see it to be too difficult for people to be able to come in the first two weeks of Ramadan, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, so inshallah, I believe we, have th- we, we may have two or three classes in Ramadan, depending on when Ramadan actually starts. Uh, but it will only be in the first two weeks. It will only be within the first two weeks, and within the first 15 days of Ramadan. Um, some people will inevitably miss classes either in Ramadan or after because they are traveling. But alhamdulillah, we have a very generous attendance policy. As far as I know, the attendance policy is around 50%, which means that you can still go on. I mean, if, if worse come to worst, you can still go on holiday after Ramadan or you can go to Umrah during Ramadan and come back and still be able to complete the course and pass the class. So we have a very generous attendance policy in that regard. So inshallah, and it's hopefully everyone is able to do what they need, uh, they need to do. One of the things that I'm going to change this time around is we're going to go more slowly. Now, as always, there is a great deal of differing among the students as to whether we should do this or not. I've had people come up to me and said, please don't go slowly because we need all of the material we can get. And I've had other people come and say it's too fast. However, I personally felt that it was too fast last term because actually originally we were told that we would complete the essentials within one year. And so I designed the course to complete within one year and that meant we had to go quite quickly. We then changed it to two years or eight modules and those eight modules give us more flexibility to slow down a little bit. So still... um, we inshallah are going to hopefully slow down a little bit in this, uh, in this module. As always, we will say that it is very unlikely we will finish all of the books in terms of from beginning to end. And really that's not the purpose here, to be honest with you. We're not aiming to finish every single book. We're aiming to give you a taster of the sciences of Islam from beginning to end or as many of them as we can, to give you a taster of each one, to give you an introduction to each particular science. And so, in order to do that, we are not able to finish every single book, and most of the books we don't finish. Because if we were to finish the books, for example, the book that we're going to do today, Al-Aqidah Al-Wasitriya, this book, my Sheikh completed in 50 one-hour lessons. Five-zero one-hour lessons. And it's not that detailed, his explanation either. It's not like, and it could be more. If we did that, that's 50 weeks. That's half of our entire course. And half of our entire course is gone just in Al-Aqidah Al-Wasatiyah. So it's not practical for us to do that. However, what we can do inshallah ta'ala is to give you a good working knowledge of the book, a good knowledge of how to study it, and an ability for you to go and read the book and complete the book yourself, along with explanations which are available from the students of knowledge and the scholars, which you can access yourselves as well. 
So we want to set people's expectations that I don't expect that we will finish the book. If we were to do that, the essentials would probably be two books or three books in total from beginning to end. However, what we want to do is give you a taste of the different types of knowledge and the different sciences of Islam, an introduction to the book, a working knowledge of how the book works, and then you have explanations and there are plenty of explanations of Al-Aqid Al-Wasitiyah which are available. I think there are at least, uh, there's at least one major explanation translated into English which you can read, uh, maybe two or three even, that are translated into English that you can read. As well as the students of knowledge who have explained them in detail over 50 lessons or 20 lessons or 30 lessons. So inshallah what we need to do is just be aware of where, what the book is and how to benefit from the book and what kind of things we expect to find within the book. Having said that, we may go back to the book again. I'm still open to the idea of going back to it in future modules. In other words, like we get up to say a quarter of the book in this module and then we you know, do another quarter or another, we do a third and a third and a third. I'm still open to those ideas depending on where we reach with the other books and how much time we have, I would be willing to go back and to complete more of the book uh, at another time. In every module, we try to include a component of aqidah, of uh, belief and creed. Because this is extremely, for me, this is the most important subject that you need. There's no subject more important than the topic of Al-Aqidah. What you believe about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what you believe about His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Those matters which you hold to be correct and you act upon giving truth to what Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or attesting to the truth of what Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam brought. This for me is the most important topic. So we try to include something on the topic of aqidah in every module of the essentials. Later on in this module, we have the topic of usul al-fiqh. The topic of Usul al-fiqh, which is a very interesting topic. It is the topic of the science of extracting rulings from the Islamic texts. So how do scholars decide or how do scholars give fatawa? How do they judge what is halal and what is haram? This is the science of Usul al-fiqh. This is coming up inshallah in the next module or in, the, in this module in the next subject but now we're going to start with aqidah inshallah ta'ala and we have a new book to cover and that new book that we're going to cover is al-aqidah al-wasitiyah al-aqidah by Sheikh al-Islam Ahmed ibn Abdul Halim ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala 
And we've already covered one book by Shaykh al-Islam al-Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala al-Muqaddimah fi usul al-Tafsir the introduction to usul al-Tafsir which we covered from Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala this is another book by ibn Taymiyyah called Al-Aqidah Al-Wasitiyyah now the first thing we're going to find out about is how this book came about because it's extremely extremely interesting Ibn Taymiyyah himself said Rahimahullah Ta'ala A Shafi'i judge from Wasit whose name was Radiyuddin Al-Wasiti visited me on the way to Hajj So first of all where is Wasit? Wasit is exactly halfway between Al-Basra and Al-Kufa between Basra and Kufa in Al-Iraq and it's called Wasit because it comes halfway in the middle between Al-Basra and Al-Kufa in Al-Iraq and at that time Wasit was under the rule of Al-Tatar the Tatar people and the Mongols as they are commonly called And as you know, the Mongols, or as you should know, the Mongols, beginning with their leader who united them, Genghis, Genghis Khan, conquered a large number of the Muslim lands. And many of them became Muslim to a greater or lesser extent. And there was a great, there were a great any test sent against the Muslims, and there was a great slaughter of probably hundreds of thousands, maybe more than that, of Muslims who were slaughtered in the uh, invasion of the Tatar. Wasit was one of those countries or one of those cities that at this time, the time of Sheikh Islam ibn Taymiyyah, and the book was written. In 698 years after the Hijrah, Sheikh was born 661. And it was written in 698. At that time, Sheikh al-Islam Taymiyyah was in Damascus, in Damascus. And the Tatar had not reached Damascus at that time. They would later reach Damascus. They would later reach uh, Damascus. And they would later their armies would reach Damascus and they would fight the Muslims there. But at this time, they had reached Wasit in Iraq. And Wasit, as we said, is called Wasit because it's halfway between Basra and Al-Basra and Al-Kufa. A Shafi'i judge from Wasit, whose name was Radiyuddin, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, visited me on his way to Hajj. The Sheikh was a man of goodness and faith. He complained to me of the people's situation in that country under the Tatar. Their ignorance or the ignorance and injustice 
and loss of faith and knowledge. And he asked me to write him an aqidah. And to write him a book summarizing the aqidah of the Muslims. As a reference for him and his family. But I declined. Saying many books of aqidah have been written. Refer to the scholars of the sunnah. However, he persisted in his request. Saying, I do not want any creed but the one you write. So I wrote this for him one day while sitting after Asr. Many copies of it are dispersed throughout Egypt, Iraq and the other provinces. So as we said, this man he came, Radiyuddin al-Wasiti. And there are a number of benefits from this story. The first benefit is the benefit of asking a sincere question. Because this man, Radiyuddin, rahimahullah ta'ala, he was not known for having any books. He was not known, you know, in history as a, a great scholar of Islam. But how many millions of people since the day that he asked that question to Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah ta'ala have benefited from this book and continue to say rahimahullah may Allah have mercy on the person who asked for this book to be written subhanallah and he did not have and he was not a famous scholar radiyuddin al-wasiti but what he did is he came and he asked one beneficial question and we hope and we believe, inshallah, that it was asked with ikhlas, with sincerity. Because look at what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought out because of that question. A book that millions and millions of people read and study and benefit from and learn their aqidah from. Because of one person from a small town in Iraq who came to ask a question. Secondly, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah did not used to write books based on his own feelings or desire. All of the books that he wrote were in response to questions that he was asked or things that were and he requested or said to him. And this tells us that writing should never be do done for writing's sake. We should never write for the sake of, of writing it. Just for the sake of saying, I have 500 books. Like some of the people do today. Like some of the people do today. They say, I have like 500 books. Or I have this number of books. This at the end of the day is not about the number of books you have. And it's not a race to write as many books or share as much knowledge as possible. Instead, it's a matter of doing something for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when the need arises. 
So Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala, he used to write, when people would ask him something, not just for the sake of writing, and look at how many books he has. And he, at least, at least you can say 30 to 50 famous books that are known all over the world and many, many more. And then you imagine that all of them were only written because somebody came and said, could you please do this for me? Could you please explain this issue for me? Just give me a moment while we uh, get back into this. The next benefit that we take from this is that he complained of ignorance and injustice. He complained of ignorance and injustice. And he asked Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah ta to write a book of Aqeedah. What do you learn from that? You learn from that that Aqeedah is the solution to all of the problems that we have in our society. And wallahi, we, we only complain to Allah Azza wa Jal of how many of the du'at who are giving da'wah today have completely missed this point. So they say to you, what is the point of studying Aqeedah? Why are you keep teaching the people Aqeedah? Our kids are doing drugs, you want to teach them Aqeedah. Our kids are committing zina, you want to teach them Aqeedah. Our kids are doing X, Y, Z, you want to teach them Aqeedah. Yes, we want to teach them Aqeedah. Because this is what will stop them doing drugs, and this is what will stop them committing zina, and this is what will stop the fasad in the society. Because wallahi, this fasad, and this corruption and evil in the society, it only came about when the people were ignorant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why if you look at the situation of the earth, when Allah azza wa jal sent the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, al-zulm wal-jahl, oppression and ignorance, and zina and alcohol, and all of the corruption that existed in the society, so was the first thing that Allah Azza wa Jal sent the Prophet with to stop the alcohol or to stop these kind of marriages that took place? Oh, not for over 13 years. Not for over 13 years, subhanAllah. There is a lesson in that for everyone. That aqeedah is what corrects the people. Aqeedah is what corrects the society. Aqeedah is what removes the alcohol abuse and the drug abuse and the zina and the uquq al-walidain and all of these things. Because if you don't know who your Lord is, you will never act in accordance to what it is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down to you. And that is why you see from this judge, this Shafi'i judge, immense fiqh, that he saw that his society was corrupt, the people were living in injustice, so write me a book of Aqeedah. Because this is what will bring about correction to the society and to the people. And then we benefit from the statement of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah I declined. He said, like I asked him to forgive me. I said, And he just... Please excuse me from doing this. I asked him to excuse me. And I said to him, many books of Aqeedah have been written, refer to the Imams of the Sunnah. And this is the tawadu, the humility 
and a ta'asi with salaf, yani following the salaf of this ummah, this is what the, the scholars were upon. When they were asked questions, write me a book, say, give me this, do this for me. Said, you have books of aqidah, go to one of the scholars of the sunnah and learn aqidah from them. And he learned a book of aqidah. There are many books that have been written. There is no need for me to write anything else. And this benefits us two things. Number one, it benefits us the humility and that it's not befitting for a person to push themselves to the front when they ask for things. You say, go ask somebody else. Go and, inshallah, any. go and uh, read from this book. There is no need for me to write on this topic. Inshallah, there are plenty of people who have spoken on this topic before. And so on. And secondly, the fact that Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah did not take his aqidah from himself. Saying there are books of the imams of Islam, refer to them. Because that is where I take my aqidah from. I'm not going to give you an aqidah which is any different to the aqidah of the imams of Islam. In fact, there's a very interesting situation happened with regard to al-aqidah al-wasatiyah, which is that Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah was brought to court the court of the of the sultan because of al-aqidah al-wasatiyah and they and they made a lot of trouble for him about this or about his aqidah and generally so they said this man is spreading a deviant belief because they were not upon the belief of ahl sunnah at that time they were mostly and he from the any mutakallimun generally people of kalam many were ashaira and so on so they said this man is spreading a deviant belief so that he was brought before the sultan the 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 ruler asked him what is your belief so instead of answering he said I will refer you to a book that I wrote seven years ago. Al-Aqidah Al-Wasitiyah. Bring this book. And he brought a copy of the book in his own hand. In his own handwriting. This is my Aqidah. And he challenged them. The people who were debating with him. He said, I give you three years to find a single word in this book that opposes what the three generations of the, the three golden generations, yani the generation the Prophet said, The best generation is my generation, then those who follow them and those who follow them. He said, I challenge you and I give you three years to find a single word in this book which contradicts Anything from the early, the three early generations, what the th early generations of Muslims said. And in another place it was said, you only write the aqidah of Al-Imam Ahmed. And in other words, you, you are upon the same deviancy as Al-Imam Ahmed. And until this day they say the same thing. They, give, they call you names, they call you Wahhabi and so on. You say, okay, the aqidah of Muhammad bin Abdul Wahhab. Where did he get it from? They say he took it from Ibn Taymiyyah. And Ibn Taymiyyah, where did he take it from? They say he took it from Imam Ahmed. Okay, Imam Ahmed, where did he take his aqidah from? 
Shaykh al-Islam Taymiyyah said this to them. They said, you have taken your aqeedah from Imam Ahmad. He said, Wallahi, if Imam Ahmad brought something that the Prophet did not bring, we would never accept it from him. It's not the aqeedah of Imam Ahmad. And it's not permissible for you to blindly follow an aqeedah of Imam Ahmad or Ibn Taymiyyah or anybody else. Rather, the belief that you follow is the belief of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the belief that the early generations united upon and were unanimous in agreeing upon. That is the belief that you follow. The fact that that belief was written down by Imam Ahmad or written down by Ibn Taymiyyah or anybody else does not hurt you at all. Because they only wrote what had an evidence for it. And Ibn Taymiyyah gave them three years. And in the end, it was ruled that his aqidah was the aqidah of Ahl sunnah and the aqidah of the Salaf, the aqidah of the early generations. Because in three years, they could not find a single text that opposed what the early generations were upon. And yes, it opposed what the people were on at that time. And that is why people call you names. Because people are not following this belief in this time. But you say to them, it's not the issue of whether I'm following a belief or you're following a belief. The issue is, what belief was the Prophet ﷺ and his companions following? So if you find something in my belief which opposes their belief, then tell me and I will, I will reject it. But if you find that the difference between you and me is that I am following their belief and you are following someone else's belief, then it is you who should change your belief, not me. And that is a summary of what Ibn Taymiyyah ﷺ said and there's a lot more to say about that, we don't have time, but there was a big, a huge uh, sort of trial conducted against Al-Aqeedah Al-Wasitiyah at that time. Simply because it opposed what the people of that time were teaching, the scholars of that time were teaching. But those same scholars were forced to admit that it didn't oppose what the early generations taught. And that in fact it was they who had changed the belief of the early generations and that this aqeedah al-aqeedah al-wasatiyah is in fact the belief of or a summary of the belief of the earliest Muslims and that is why they first of all accused him from copying Imam Ahmad and then later on that Imam Ahmad copied somebody else and so on and so forth because they at the end of the day have to recognize that this book or this belief is not the belief of Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala but it is the transmitted belief that was passed on from the early generations until this day. Walilah alhamd. So I wrote this one for him while I was sitting after Asr. Wallahi, you read this book of Aqeedah, you would think that it was written in three years or four years. And it was written by Shaykh al-Islam and Taymiyyah in the just after Asr one day. He sat down after Asr and wrote the entire book. And he wants to indicate from that any before Maghrib, between Asr and Maghrib. The whole book. And that shows you the barakah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put in the life of this Imam. And many of the Imams of the Sunnah, when you, you read about their biographies, uh, they wrote this book in an hour between this time and this time. Or they wrote this book between Asr and Maghrib, or between Dhuhr and Asr. Shows you the barakah that they had in the 
in their time and how much they valued their time. How much have we wasted between Asr and Maghrib? How many times between Asr and Maghrib have we wasted? And how many of those times did Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah write a book or some of the scholars teach a class or produce something that benefited the ummah for many, many, many years and generations to come? And many copies of it are dispersed throughout Egypt, Iraq and other provinces and that shows you that this book gained a huge amount of acceptance. It was copied by hand and spread out to many, many different places all around the Muslim world and people continue to benefit from this book, uh, from this book today. As for the book itself, in my copy, in Arabic, it comes to around about 25 pages in my copy in Arabic. As I said, I don't think we will cover, be able to cover all of it. But at least we should be able to cover any, a portion of it, inshallah. Uh, and the book is obviously a book summarizing the belief of the Muslims, what the Muslims should believe, the books of Aqidah. Particularly relating to some of those issues that were present at that time, for those people at that time. I think it makes sense to stop there before we start explaining the book and then go over our time limit. What we'll do now, inshallah ta'ala, is to take uh, questions. As always, the sisters uh, can tell the volunteers inside of Kalima. The sister volunteers will upload it to the channel that I have here. And the brothers can just ask questions directly, inshallah. We'll do questions for about five to ten minutes. Then we wrap up, inshallah. Do any of the brothers have a question? If you have a question, first of all, on the topic, and then if you don't have a question on the topic, any we can do questions off the topic, inshallah. Usually I complain, I'll come to it in a second. Usually I complain because I say, does anyone have any questions? And nobody puts up their hand. And then I go outside for one hour. Don't move from the door. Allah. Yes, a copy of this is available in English and there is a sharh, there is an explanation available in English. It's published by Dar salam and there may be others. I think there are others. There might be one published by Dar sunnah as well. Uh, so there are multiple explanations of Al-Aqid Al-Wasitiyah available in English. And it goes by that title. People don't usually translate the title as the creed of the people of Wasit or something like that. People usually translate it as, just simply type in Al-Aqidah al and usually the explanation comes. Okay. So if no questions, then inshallah ta'ala we wrap up there. Okay, we have some questions. Okay, what is the difference between Tawheed and Iman and Aqeedah. This was answered to a certain extent at the beginning of the previous uh, module. So inshallah, if we go back to there, we can find a more detailed answer when we talked about what is Aqeedah. We did a proper part of the module, what is Aqeedah. 
Each one of those has a meaning. So aqidah, in summary, are those beliefs which a Muslim holds on firm to, affirming the truth of what Allah and His Messenger وسلم, brought. That's aqidah. And iman has its own definition. Yani iman are beliefs and actions. And the things that we believe in our heart and the things we do in our heart and the things we say with our tongue and the things that we do with our tongue and the things we do with our limbs. Any yani five things that make up a person's iman. And it may be that there is an overlap between the two, but the two are not exactly the same. Although some of the scholars use the word iman for aqidah, and aqidah deals mostly with iman. But there is an overlap, but not 100%. Because, for example, praying your salah is part of your iman. Saying alhamdulillah is a part of your iman. But we don't say that, for example, praying salah is a part of your aqidah. Aqidah deals with the part of iman that is basically beliefs in the heart and the actions which then come out of them, of course, are a part of iman. But aqidah deals with the beliefs as beliefs, which is a part of iman, but iman is more comprehensive than that. Even though some scholars may write kitabul iman, and by it they mean a, a book of aqidah. As for tawheed, we're going to come to the definition of it here. It's a verbal noun from wahada yuwahidu, which means al-ifrad, any it means to make something unique or to believe something to be one. And so a major part of our aqidah is tawheed. To believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one in his lordship, in his worship and in his names and attributes. So if you like we can say aqidah is, a, is, the, is the part of iman which deals with belief. And Tawheed is a part of Aqeedah. The Aqeedah of Tawheed, the beliefs that relate to Tawheed. But there are actions of Tawheed which are not part of your Aqeedah. Because Aqeedah doesn't generally deal with any actions in, in the first place. The main topic of Aqeedah is to do with the beliefs themselves and the actions which come naturally from those beliefs. And likewise, Iman deals with lots of things. Deals with five things. Statements of the heart and actions of the heart and statements of the tongue and actions of the tongue and actions of the limbs. Of which some of those, generally statements of the heart, are what we deal with in Aqeedah. So there is an overlap between each one and the scholars may well use one for another. So someone may write Aqeedah to Tawheed. Our Aqeedah is our aqidah is tawheed, meaning that the majority or the, the core of our aqidah is tawheed. But aqidah deals with other issues. Deals with other issues. Outside of the topic, only the limited topic, for example, of tawheed. For example, the belief that we have regarding the companions. And some of the scholars said, aqidah is iman. Or aqidah is the pillars of iman. But reality is, aqidah deals with more than just the pillars of iman 
also. Because it deals with things that are more comprehensive than just the pillars of Iman. Even though the most of them, if not all of them, can somewhere be fit into the pillars of Iman. So the reality is these are three words that are near to each other but have some differences. And some things may be included in one that are not included in the other. But to understand when we talk about Aqeedah, we are usually talking about the beliefs themselves and the actions which come about as a result of those beliefs. That's mostly what we are talking about, the beliefs themselves. We talk about what do we believe about Allah, then what are the actions we should do to affirm that belief. Whereas in Iman, we talk about statements of the heart and actions of the heart and statements of the tongue and actions of the tongue and actions of the limbs, which is more comprehensive than what we talk about in the topic of Aqeedah. Even though some of the scholars may summarize and say Aqeedah is to believe in Allah and His angels and His messengers and the last day and to believe in and his scripture and, his, and the last day and to believe in Qadr, uh, the good of it and the bad of it. Right? Because that is the majority of what we talk about in the topic of Aqeedah. So, inshallah, this was explained in more detail in the beginning of the first lesson, so go back to the SoundCloud and you can get more information about it there. What book would you recommend for Salah that covers issues like Sujood al-Sahu, and the Fard and the Wajib of the prayers. There are a number of books. The best book that I know of to summarize the prayer as a book is Sifat Salat al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam by Shaykh al-Albani rahimullah ta'ala. The Prophet's prayer described in terms of English as a comprehensive book. However, this may not give you everything that you wanted in this question. Uh, there is a website also, howtopray.com, um, which uh, I've seen of and I found it to be quite good. It deals with things like sujood al-sahu and the fard and the wajib of the prayers. But in terms of knowing the detail of the fard and wajib of the prayers, you probably need to study a book of fiqh, a book of fiqh, or a book of fiqh sunnah, like Bulugh al-Maram, for example, where we cover in there the what is the fard and what is the wajib of the prayers, or a book of fiqh, uh, for example, and each, each madhab has its own book, but for example, Zad al-Mustaqni' in the madhab of the Hanabila, the Hanbalis, and which covers what are the fard parts of the prayer and what are the wajib parts of the prayer and stuff. So it depends what access you're looking. If you're just looking on how to pray, then Sifat Salat al-Nabi, the Prophet's prayer described, is an excellent book along with in this website howtopray.com is a summary if you're looking for more detail like I want to know which action is fard which one is wajib which one is sunnah then this you have to go to the fiqh of the madahib either you go to a book of the sunnah like bulugh al-maram or you go to a book of fiqh like az-zad inshallah so this would be like a summary of those issues inshallah but if you want a one word answer of a book you can get in English get the prophet's prayer described by Sheikh Nasr Din al-Bani Yes, all of Ibn Kathir has been checked for authenticity. And this is where we come to a topic of what we call tahqiq. Tahqiq is the science of checking a book. And the person who does it, we call him a muhaqqiq. A muhaqqiq. 
And that's why you don't get this in English, but in Arabic books you get this. You have the author and you have the muhaqqiq. The author originally wrote the book. And the muhaqqiq's job is to go around and make sure the text is presented to you, first of all, in the best possible way. So the muhaqqiq will check that there are no misprints, there are no, uh, mi no uh, words that have been transmitted incorrectly, that everything has been fully quoted, that if there is any difference in the manuscripts between one manuscript and another, the muhaqqiq will say, in the manuscript in Cairo, it says this word. And in the manuscript in Baghdad, it says this word. And often, the muhaqqiq, often but not always, will check the authenticity of the ahadith and the narrations and will, and will um, give a biography of the names of the people who are mentioned also. And of course, Ibn Kathir, Tafsir Ibn Kathir, is one of the most famous books that have been written in Islam. And therefore, it has very good tahqiq. It has a very, very good checking of the book which has been done by many different people. And there are many different copies. Uh, the one I have was recommended to me by some of the shuyukh. And I will get you the name of it. Uh, it's known as uh, the the print of Aulad. Al-Sheikh, Aulad Al-Sheikh, it's known as the print of Aulad Al-Sheikh, the children of the Sheikh, yani. and it has a tahqiq of four people, any four people, f sorry, five people, five people did the checking of, of the book, uh, and it's supposed to be good, and this is one of them, but generally you compare, you buy, that's why if you go to a student of knowledge's library, he will have like, any five copies of Ibn Kathir. You say to him, why do you have five copies of Ibn Kathir? And you're only going to read it once. Because this one has checking from this person. This one's print is better than this one. The accuracy of the text here is better. The checking of the hadith is better over here. And you go into those books and you'll find like there is checking of the hadith, sahih, da'if, and so on. Of course, in our time, there are a couple of people who are very famous for checking a hadith and making tahqiq of books where they check a hadith many people uh, obviously Sheikh al-Albani comes to mind uh, many books Sheikh al-Albani checked and checks the hadith uh, Shu'ayb al-Arna'ut also um, very famous for checking going through books and checking a hadith and others yani. so you get like you look through but this one was done by four uh, uh, by four people who went through the text and checked the validity of what is printed and also checked, translated or gave biographies of key people and also gave the tasih and tada'if, the authenticity of the hadith. Also, the summaries of Ibn Kathir have the same kind of job done. Usually, a summary of Ibn Kathir is one where they remove the weak hadith and weak narrations. But you have to also bear in mind that Ibn Kathir himself checks the authenticity of the hadith in many, many ahadith he mentions in Ibn Kathir, in his own book. Because Ibn Kathir himself was a great scholar of hadith. And so he, when he mentions the hadith, he will say, but this chain is not authentic. Or he will say, it is reliably reported. Or he will say the difference between qala and qila. Yani, 
Ibn Abbas said this, or it was said, somebody said that Ibn Abbas said this. And he saw Ibn Kathir himself is the first source because he himself checks a huge amount of the authenticity of what he narrates. But then later on, other people come and they check it's authentic or not. Even in this, it could be said that even if you don't speak Arabic, you could still benefit from getting the Arabic PDF copy because you will be able to see a footnote and it will just say Sahih, Da'if, or whatever. You know, so even if you don't speak Arabic, getting the Arabic copy could still benefit you in that way. Um, we, st we used to d recommend this with regard to the, 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 uh, the, uh, the Sunan, the books of the, the four books, uh, Jami'a Tirmidhi and Sunan Abi Dawud and Nasa'i and Ibn Majah. Sheikh uh, al-Albani, rahimahullah ta'ala, he has a checking of them, where next to every hadith he has written, Sahih, Da'if, Hasan, etc. This you can benefit from even if you don't speak Arabic. Because you get your English translation, you find the Arabic of the hadith, you find the number, you find the same Arabic of the hadith in your Arabic copy, then you look in the footnote and you have Sheikh al-Albani saying, Sahih, Da'if, Hasan, etc. And this is very important. I mean, now, alhamdulillah, we have a little bit of a resource. We have uh, sunnah.com, which is, it gives a kind of a similar thing. But the checking in sunnah.com is not as good as the checking of Sheikh al-Albani. Because in sunnah.com, mostly they rely upon Dar al-Salam's checking, which is nowhere near as good as the checking of uh, Sheikh al-Albani, rahimahullah ta'ala. So having Sheikh al-Albani's four 